You may be seated, and as you are, can you join me in prayer? Gracious God, how much more clearly could we offer to you our prayer this day than simply to say this, take our lives, Lord, all of the pieces of them, and transform them by your mercy and by your goodness to make us more into this image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, ENC, and welcome to this semester's Faith and Learning Chapel. Faith and Learning Chapel is one of those occasions that we share together as a community to observe the intersection of those two distinctive qualities that, that only in combination really make up ENC's distinctive identity. There are plenty of places that you can go in Boston and beyond to get a higher education, uh, especially in Boston, that's true. There are plenty of institutions that exist around us, churches and many other kinds of places that would love to nourish you in a life of faith. But it's in the intersection of those two things that the distinctive qualities of ENC really become apparent to us, that we are committed as a community to nurturing that life of faith, but to doing so by in renewing and engaging together in the life of the mind. We do this, of course, as part of our response to what the uh, Apostle Paul invites us to do when he says uh, in the book of Romans that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, uh, holy and, uh, and acceptable to God, that this is how we join in worship to him. So some of you who were here last year will remember that last year we had a conversation uh, with uh, Professor Bill Malice and with Professor Julene Tegerstrand uh, related to their experiences and to the classes that they teach in the general education curriculum here at ENC and that many of you have experienced in world religions and in Bible and current perspectives. Uh, this morning we're continuing in that process as we talk together as we often do here at ENC about the notion of education and, and higher education in particular as a, as a kind of exodus, as a, as a manifestation of that, that sort of central metaphor that we find in scripture in which we are invited to step away and out of the bondage that we know is a part of the world in which we live. The ways in which the principalities and powers of, of this world try to constrain our lives and to keep us under a yoke of sin and to journey together into a life of true Christian freedom. This is the invitation of Christ in our lives. And this morning, to help us do this and to help us reflect, we've invited uh, one of the uh, best known and most loved witnesses of this transforming invitation uh, on this campus. So would you join me as we welcome Professor Phil LaFountain. Thank you for that. Thank it's you, Mom. It's something that your mom and the students of ENC seem to share in common. So yes. They, they love you. Yes. 
You know, mothers, when they tell us we're special, they're lying to us, right, you know? No, I didn't know We're not really this. special. I'm sorry, go you ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't want to elaborate on that? You're just going to leave that hanging Take out there? Take my class, oh. East Meets West. Ah. There'll be a lot of allusions <laughs> to that class. <laughs> well, so that is, of course, why we have invited you here this morning, is to try to focus in, particularly as we're talking about faith and, and learning, uh, to, to focus today specifically on sort of uh, philosophy as a, as a method of learning, as a, as a way of knowing and understanding the world, uh, and, uh, and talking to you because, of course, you teach our, our general education philosophy class, East Meets West. And as I, uh, as I was getting ready for this morning and, and thinking about questions that might be appropriate for our conversation, it occurred to me that probably a good place to start would be with a pretty straightforward question, which is, what is philosophy? Yeah, uh, yeah that's, uh, that's usually the, the go-to question. And it's uh, a great question, but it's a tough question to answer. Um, so I'm going to illustrate that a little bit. And you're going to be my victim, I mean volunteer. Since really? you're up here, right, you know, yes. So Bill, first, before we jump into that, I think we have just a moment or two. Because how long have you been chair of general education? Um, Bill Malice, do you know the answer Bill, to that question? Bill, do you know the answer to that? It's, it's yeah, been a while. I'm going yeah, to say four years. So Dr. McCoy has been our guru for a good number of years. And so just as we begin, I want to thank you publicly for taking upon yourself that responsibility uh, in engaging in general education and helping us as faculty, but also students, enjoy and engage that experience. Um, you are an exemplar in that. I sat in your classes a few times. I know students who love you. A couple came up right before the service uh, here. And um, you are loved. You are appreciated. And you are admired. And I, you inspire me, but also I aspire to be like you. And I appreciate that very much. Yes, you better believe it. So... I brought along a bag of tools because when I think about philosophy, I immediately think of tools in a tool bag, right? So this tool bag we're going to use today for illustration, but it's actually going to be yours. It's about $100 worth of tools in here, including the tool bag. But it's yours, but you're going to have to play along with right. me so, oh, to oh, get it. You're oh. going to have to play along, okay? Oh, it's okay? like a prize right. I'm going to win. So I'm going to give that okay. to you, okay. and you're going to open it up. And there are a few things that we have to prepare ourselves. You see, to do philosophy, it doesn't happen accidentally. You have to be intentional. You have to engage something about what it means to be human to think about philosophy, right? That's a little better. Oh, there it is. All right, so put that on, yes. And then I think, yes, here we are. I'm not sure this is worth the bag of tools. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I should say just too bad. But. All right, gloves. So I hope you can do what you need to do with gloves, right? And then I got large, Bill. Yeah, extra large would have 
I know, sorry. Yeah, but maybe, maybe your wife can use those. All right. So if you were to engage in some uh, work and uh, repairing and those kinds of things, you would need some tools. So pull out some tools. You can lay them right here on the floor in front of us. And so when I think about philosophy, I think about what are the tools available to us. By the way, there's no blade in that, okay? Yeah. yeah. No, no. <laughs> Make sure our, our uh, uh, provost knows that. So Dr. McCoy is pulling out an array of tools. So when I think about philosophy, I think, first of all, about what are the tools available to me? And as we think about what it means to be human, each of these tools has some particular purpose. There's a hammer in there. Bill, I'm just going to set this uh, here. And each of these tools has a particular purpose, so we discover that. You have the hammer. That's good. I like that because that's perfect because in philosophy, one of the tools that we use is reason. Notice I said one of the tools. But for many philosophers, especially when we engage and get into that modernistic period, you know, so from, say, 1650, when science and knowledge, you know, the fruits of the Enlightenment. See, I'm trying to get some history in there, Bill, right, you know? Renaissance, Enlightenment, you know, stuff. Well, reason became elevated as the primary tool to engage in philosophy. And that, that yes, it was, it was like a hammer. Yes, blunt force trauma, yes, right, you know? And so you used it to, you know, whatever you did. And it was a brutal kind of tool in many ways. It kind of leveraged out other pieces of what it meant to be human. But you know what a hammer does, right? So you have a nail, and you hammer that nail. But have you ever used a hammer for another purpose? Yes, that's good. Yes, see, right, a hammer for that. Anything else? You ever tried to screw in a screw with a hammer? No. I have. You take the claw piece, you know, you don't have a screwdriver with you, you kind of work it out there, you know, stuff, you know. Uh, well, hammers, tools can be used for things that, uh, that is not their purpose. So we'll come back to that here, the hammer. But you have other tools here, right? So channel locks, right, wrenches, and those, you know, they kind of get a little bigger mouth here, you know, for those kinds of things, a crescent wrench, you know. But each of these tools has limitations. They're part of the tool bag, but they have limitations. So for me, right now in philosophy, it's a beautiful, beautiful time, exciting time to be in philosophy because we are reassessing all the human tools that we have to engage in philosophy. But we still haven't answered what philosophy is just yet. So tools are limited, screwdrivers, you know, uh, knives, tape measures, they have their purpose. So where we are right now in philosophy is asking what are, what are the array? What's the array of tools we have available? And then what is philosophy? Well, that's a great question. It depends on who you ask. And I'll answer that from my own uh, historicized and enculturated perspective, of course, limited human understanding, to be sure. At least my wife says so. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I want to just offer this quote, and I share it with students in my class. Because in our culture, and even in Christianity, there's a sense that philosophy doesn't really have a purpose. What do I do with it? 
can I get a job, you know, and stuff. And I, I came across this wonderful quote from The Simpsons. You guys know The Simpsons? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a cultural critique, you know, those kinds of things, humorous and, you know. But I think it was the, the Homer figure in that, you know, who says something like this. And it's very telling about how philosophy is perceived. That he says, the unemployment line isn't as happy as it used to be. It's not just for philosophy majors anymore. Now even useful people are unemployed, right, you know? But that's the idea, right? Philosophy, what good is it? What's its purpose? Well, I'm going to suggest to you today that philosophy is one of the most dangerous disciplines that we can engage in. You have to risk everything to engage in philosophy because philosophy isn't about sort of what you can do with it per se, like these tools, right? But philosophy is going to get at and challenge the very core and heart of who we are as human beings and what that means. So that was a long answer. The short answer is philosophy is the love of wisdom. Well, what is it? What is wisdom? And what relationship does that have with Christian faith? You can oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Now, for me, growing up in a farming community in upstate New York, uh, where very few people went to college. You know, college, for me, my, my dad went to sixth grade, my, my fourth grade, actually. My mom made it to sixth grade, right? You know, it was back in the 50s and back in the day. And my dad was a mill rat all his life. And he provided a wonderful middle-class comfortable home for, you know, he and his wife and eight of his eight, his eight children, right? I'm the second oldest, the smartest, you know. The, um, but so college wasn't on the radar for me. I had no sense of what I could accomplish or, or what it meant to engage in knowledge and, you know, pursuing education. Um, I wasn't going to be a mill rat all my life. That wasn't appealing to me. That was my dad's aspiration for me. And so the only other option was to go into the military. And so most of my mom's side of the family went into the Navy. You know, I didn't want to be on a ship for eight months or a year. Uh, the ocean isn't that, you know, appealing to me. And so I thought I'd go in the Air Force. And it was really while I was in the Air Force that I, first of all, became a Christian and discovered uh, the Lordship of Christ and the reality of God in my life. And that was a beautiful gift, and we won't rehearse all of that, because many of you already know uh, that story, and so the rest of my life is all about living out whatever moments of life I have left uh, devoted to Christ, because I was dead in sin and all those kinds of things he made in my life. But it was there that I discovered the intellectual life, becoming a Christian. So a friend who had some questions, gave me a book by Edgar Case, who tried to blend Hinduism and Christianity, and he, he believed in reincarnation. So I devoured that book, but as a young Christian, I thought, wow, I don't, I'm not sure I believe all of this stuff. 
So I began critiquing it, and that was a major event for me as I began to realize I've got some skills here, I can think critically. Uh, and that really began me on a philosophical journey that came to fruition here when I was here at ENC in the 80s and discovered this beautiful, wondrous, exciting, and yet very challenging and difficult and excruciating discipline and would take my philosophy books and slam them on the floor and stomp on them. And, you know, I hate this stuff. And yet at the same time, I love this stuff. So it's a, you know, for many years, even today maybe, there's a love-hate relationship because philosophy gets at the heart and core of who you are and what it means to be human. And that's the question that Socrates asked. And many people suggest, uh, scholars suggest, that Western philosophy, Western history, if you will, intellectual pursuit is basically nothing but a footnote on Socrates' student Plato, right? That's all we're doing, footnotes stuff. Now, I don't, I don't know what that does for history, but, you know. So, but it's excruciating. And, you know, I, I love our worship, and I love being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and it is about God and living for God. But I, I, I'm going to avoid as many platitudes as I possibly can. Because for me, what it means to be human can be so excruciating and challenging and risky and difficult. And, um, and I, I think with Henry David Thoreau, you know, I want to suck the marrow out of life. I want to look life in the face. And if it's raw and mean, then to face it in all its meanness. But if there's anything that is transcendent or, or brings bliss, then I want that too. Um, and sometimes in life, you got to have both. Thanks, Phil. I, I wonder, I mean, you've, you've clearly led us to, to understand and to reflect together on, on the struggles that come yeah. With, yeah. with many kinds of, of sure. academic disciplines. I wonder, can you identify a, a place where studying philosophy, a, a specific time maybe where, where studying in that way led you to, to wrestle with doubt. Yeah. And then sort of related to that, as, as you teach philosophy to you know, hundreds upon hundreds of students over the years, are there places where you have routinely seen students yeah. struggle? Yeah. Um, that first question, sorry. Well, has, has studying philosophy oh, yeah, ever brought you to a place yeah, where you doubt. had to wrestle through doubt? And then what kinds of struggles has it, off, has it meant for students? Well, as my daughter used to say to me, well, duh. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, it depends on what you mean by doubt. Right? That's a classic I mean, philosopher's answer. Yes, right. Yeah. Yes. What do you mean by that? Um, of course. Yes, uh, I think philosophy, I think life is about engaging mystery. One of my favorite philosophers is Gabriel Marcel, a French existentialist who, who wrote about the transcendent and about mystery, you know, and uncovering that and discovering that. Um, so one of the things I do in East Meets West is to help students see that philosophy in Christian life dialogue wonderfully. Now, there are always tensions, and there will be. Um, and we'll talk about that maybe if you want to. 
Someone once said that Christianity is a religion in search of a metaphysic. It's a relationship, if you will. It's a religion. Um, I'm wondering if I should say something about that. I'm going to let that one go. I might get myself into some trouble here. (laughs) No, I'm going to do it anyways, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to tell you, I don't buy the language that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. First of all, if it is a relationship, then stop breaking that relationship. (laughs) Stop it. Right? Come on. You know, it's... You know, I think it's an escape for many of us as evangelicals. Now I'm preaching, right, you know? Well, it's a relationship. Usually we, we mean that's an out. God loves me so much, he's not going to hold me accountable anymore, right, you know? And that's baloney. That's not biblical, right, you know? We have to be careful about that. And then, I mean, I met, I took this year-long, I have to check time, year-long course at BU in religion, right? And so these two Hindu women came in to our class. And, you know, the professor was asking him questions, and he asked, the final question was, what do you think about these Christians who are here, right, you know? And one of the ladies said, well, we feel very, very sorry for them because they worship a religion, but we have a relationship. Wow, that floored me, right, you know? Now, just because they say that doesn't make it right or true. Just because we say that doesn't make it right or true, right, you know? So let's not go to there so easily um, because there are aspects of Christianity that are religion-like, right, you know, as well as a relationship. But let's not use that as an escape to get out from responsibility. Oh, my mic went off. Who did that? Um, So, yeah, but anyways, that's an aside. We can dialogue about that, talk about that. So I'm hoping that by saying something like that, I have a whole lot of other things like that I can share with you if you're interested. Uh, we go to coffee, uh, you know, I go to Dunkin', medium hot, half decaf, cream, two sugars is what I take, you know. Uh, sure, let's explore these. Is this a college? This is ENC, right? This is where I am right now, you know, as intellectual space to ask all the relevant questions, right, you know? All the philosophical questions, yes. So, yes, doubt, of course I live with doubts. They're agonizing. They're excruciating. And I hate them and love them at the same time. Welcome to life, right? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Man. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Thanks, Mom. Right, you know? Come on, right? Yet at the same time, I affirm what we just did right here. We worshiped. That's my faith statement. So even as a Christian, folks, I'm risking everything. You are risking everything for Jesus. Your life, there's no guarantee. It's a life of faith, right? Come on. And I'm inviting you to risk your life on this journey. And if Jesus, if about Jesus, I, you know, I, I'm following him. If he goes down, then I go down, right? Amen? But if he is king and he's Lord, then I will be with him forever. So I'm risking it all. Um, Yeah, what else can we do? But in the middle of that, I use philosophy as a tool. 
you know, wisdom sounds nice to me, all that kind of stuff. So where, what about students? Yes. Well, first of all, there's the mundane, everyday kinds of difficulties when you engage in a new discipline, right? So when I took history here at ENC, you know, I had to learn the lingo. You guys have a strange language, right? You know, I had to learn all that language. And for me, it was, you know, half step, you know, stumbling a little bit uh, until I got acclimated to the language. I took biology here, right, you know? Yeah, we dissected a pig. And I always tease biologists, you know, you have these companies that produce these uh, pig embryos for you, you know? You dissect, you kill it first, because biology is essentially a violent discipline, right? Because you have, really, you have to kill it, then take it apart. So can I ask you a question? Did you ever put it back together? You ever give it life? It should caution us, right, you know? A little philosophical thing there, right, you know? Science? I think John Twining's with you on yes, this point. Yes, yes. Well, science is ultimately a violent discipline. Come on, let's name it, right? So I'm making all kinds of friends today, Bill, yeah. right? You know? You really are. So the language. So We're going to have to spend faith and learning chapel right. next right. spring, just like making up so, for all of the damage that's been. They will never ask me again, right? <laughs> so I warn people ahead of time, if you're going to invite La Fountain, you're going to get all of La Fountain, right, you know? Come on, right, you know? Be genuine here. Be transparent, be genuine. So certainly the nuts and bolts. East meets West lays that foundation, the nuts and bolts, language, lingo, you know? And uh, it's kind of deceptive because in the early part of East meets West, it's easy, you know, not very intellectually challenging. You learn about the language. You learn the fields of philosophy. I don't want to go over that mic, you know? And then, but like the ocean, you know, uh, you know, you walk out in the ocean, and at least for me, and the beach that I love, Second Beach and Newport, Rhode Island, if you get out too far, the bottom drops out pretty quickly, you know, and you lose yourself. And that's the second part of philosophy, because we talk about metaphysics and epistemology, but that's where all the fun is, right? And the depth of water, right, you know? And so um, certainly that, um, certainly there is what Francis Bacon calls idols of the mind. That culture, our own, you know, our own uh, environment has these roadblocks to real intellectual pursuit. Even religion, even Christianity can put those roadblocks in the way, right? You know, he calls them idols of the mind. He wants to clear out, he's a good modernist, right? Hey, clear out tradition, clear the, clear the underbrush so we can get on with uh, uh, a, a scientific, philosophical, rational approach. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, right? Um, so another part of East meets West is clearing that underbrush. But for me, just encouraging students to stop being afraid. What are you afraid of, right? And I think there's the underlying fear that if I learn this, oh no, what will happen to me, you know? Well, you're already there. It's already risky anyway, so why not just be aware that life is a risk and engage, you know, and ask questions. Don't be afraid, you know. Now, granted, I don't mean to hurt anybody here, but there'll be some students who come uh, to ENC who, whose God is their belly, right, you know, and they're really good American hedonists, you know. They start here, and they will graduate with a four-year degree, and they'll continue to be really good American hedonists, right, you know? Now, I'm hoping to push back against that. Say, no, sorry, give up. Yeah, at the same time, you could be a Christian hedonist. Do you know that 
Um, John Piper is a Christian hedonist. Google him. Fascinating. A Christian hedonist. You think, well, it can't be. Well, most Christians are Stoics, Stoic-like. I probably lean pretty heavily towards Christian existentialism, right? That life is a mystery, you know. There's trauma and struggle and stuff, you know. And the only way you can know it is to engage it and lean, you know, lean into it in some way. Uh, I, I just seem to resonate with that language. And I just want students to engage. Don't be afraid. Sure. Um, I don't know what else to say on that. So. That makes sense at all? That makes sense? I don't know. Yes. I think you answered all of the other questions oh. that I had in, in I answering. What else can I <laughs> Well, does anybody have a question? We still got one minute. I'm not done talking yet. No. No, I, yeah, I, I just try to open space for students. Of course, a lot of students, they want to start engaging in philosophy right away, and they can. Yeah. So East Meets West is not just about nuts and bolts, but it gives students a chance to engage material. Um, I'm teaching modern, postmodern, historical, and that can be tough because you got to slog through. I mean, every day you get a philosophy. You're trying to stop me, aren't you? Sorry. Well, I, I think I wanted, I wanted to follow through yeah. on this thread of fear. Yes. And you really do only have like, you know, a hundred seconds to answer yeah, this, okay. so I'm sure that, but what is it in your mind about the Christian gospel that offers us the ability to move beyond those fears? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are a number of theological faith claims that we make. If God really is creator, you know, and we take the scriptures seriously that creation is good and God called it good, then for me, that's permission. From God, that's permission to investigate, to study, to think critically, to, 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 uh, to wrestle, you know, to doubt in some real way with these kinds of things. That's permission, first of all, right? And then second thing, if I really believe that Jesus is the Christ, and the early church, the creed of the early church was very basic, that I learned from Dr. Malice, that Jesus is Lord. That's it. Okay, but if he's Lord, that kind of gives me that space, right? There's a trust here that the end result of my investigation will probably end up being a pursuit of God after all, right? You know? Um, and I think that gives me a great deal of hope. It doesn't, doesn't make it easy. It doesn't take away all the pain. But that gives me ultimately philosophy, Christian philosophy, is teleological. There's an end and a goal. And it's eschatological in the sense that I'm waiting for the eschaton. Now I have moved a bit away from philosophy into theology, but for me, they blend and intermix and stuff, you know, in beautiful ways. But I draw deeply from philosophy to help me ground Christianity in some existence. Thank you so much, wow. Phil. God bless you. Ian C., could I invite you to stand? And as you do, would you thank Professor LaFountain for sharing with us this morning? Amen. Have you heard from the Lord this morning? 
Is it the fact that we are not to be afraid? We are to be asking questions all the time. Who are we as humans in Christ? Amen? Have you heard from a wonderful worship team this morning? I'll tell you. You know, sometimes it really means something when you say it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's thank them again for, 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 for leading worship this morning. Now let's close with this benediction and, and let this be a commitment. Let this be a commitment and it's taken from Colossians 3. It says, let this message about Christ completely fill our lives while we use all our wisdom to teach and instruct each other. With thankful hearts, we will continue to sing, sing, sing hymns and sing, uh, uh, sing psalms and spiritual songs unto God. And note this, whatever you do, whatever you say should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. As we give thanks to God, the Father, because of him. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.